Hello, my name is Sarah Boo. I'm a patient with lupus. This podcast is aimed at people with lupus and lupus-like illnesses. It gives general information about immunity in people with lupus, how the body normally protects itself against viruses, and what we know about COVID-19 and lupus, which of course is changing all the time. It is produced by Lupus Science and Medicine, which is a BMJ journal, the Lupus Foundation of America, and we're also grateful to Lupus UK for commenting on the questions we discuss. We're not giving medical advice, we're giving general information. As you will already know, lupus is a very variable illness, and every patient has an individual drug prescription and treatment plan. We're going to talk about all the drugs that people with lupus may take, So there'll be drugs mentioned that you're not taking because your doctor doesn't think it's right for you or your particular sort of lupus. Or maybe you've taken that drug in the past. We'll repeat several times throughout the podcast that you shouldn't change the way you take your drugs or your drug doses without talking it over with your specialist doctor or specialist team. If you're concerned about your medication, your illness, or what you need to do to protect yourself from COVID-19, look both at your national guidance and contact your local specialist team. We're delighted to speak to Dr. Anka Askenaz, who's the director of Columbia University Lupus Centre. She's the Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Rheumatology at Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. Good morning, Dr. Askenaz. I'd like to thank you for your time and expertise at this must be a very difficult time for you. We appreciate it very much. Could you uh, say briefly a little bit about what the immune system is and uh, how it works? So the immune system's role is to protect us from invaders, viruses, bacteria, um, to keep the body healthy. Um, And there are two pieces to the immune system, the innate, the first line of defense, and the adaptive. Uh, The more thought through, the the more elaborate immune response. Um, the, The first line of defense is attempting to, the innate immune system is attempting to stop the infection and the attack by the virus before it, 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 it has um, the time to enter the body before it has uh, the chance to start making us sick. The adaptive immune response is about, you know, a more sophisticated, more um, specific to one bug or another response that is a little later in the process. And it's, it's about making antibodies People with uh, lupus often told they're immunosuppressed uh, either by their drugs or by the illness. What exactly does that mean? In a simplistic way, the immune system is busy with busy work in lupus, meaning instead of, um, you know, instead of being there to only attack and um, attack the invaders and prevent the invaders from being damaging, it's now attacks the tissues. So it's a little too busy for its own good. So it's too busy making uh, pathogenic anti-self antibodies, and it's too busy 
inflaming tissues. So sometimes viruses, bacteria, pathogens escape just because, you know, there aren't enough soldiers to take care of everything. There aren't enough soldiers. There aren't, there aren't, you know, as in cells to respond to the invaders. There aren't enough um, proteins to contain that, um, you know, the, the invasion. So many, and on many levels, the immune system is already used up a lot of resources on fighting the body. So there are not enough resources to fight now the invaders, the, you know, the, the true villains. Thank you very much. It's, they, they've diverted their energies in the wrong direction. So. Correct. Correct. In, in, in a good, simple way. But I like the diverted their energies. The immune system diverted its energy to you know, the wrong task. Thank you. I, I know we've heard a lot about it, but it'd be very helpful just for you to briefly say what COVID-19 is. There's a family of viruses, the coronaviruses. Um, the coronaviruses normally are the common, common cold viruses, and they tend to cause relatively mild to moderate, you know, upper respiratory um, pharyngitis, rhinitis. So, you know, sniffles, they cause the sniffles. Now, occasionally, these viruses um, are somewhat put together differently. Um, and there are three examples of viruses that um, because they've had um, sort of the wrong genetic make, they became very aggressive to humans. The, the, vir the coronaviruses are, um, are, are shared with, with animal hosts. And part of that is what we've learned about the current coronavirus, where we think that um, the mutation that is responsible for this very aggressive virus happened in a bat. Now, the reality, and I, you know, every time I say this, I, I have to remind people that the majority of people that get coronavirus get a relatively mild disease. Well, it's not as mild as a mild flu or a common cold, but it could be relatively mild, um, fever, uh, cough, malaise, um, and recover without any consequences. It is sort of the exception that people get very sick from, from coronaviruses, COVID-19 included. Is the reaction of, the, of, the, of our immune systems to COVID-19 exactly the same as it would be to any other virus? So there's something, there seems to be something particular about our responses to these very pathogenic coronaviruses, which include the, you know, the earlier epidemics of SARS and MERS. So um, the normal immune response is with clearance and, you know, sort of small amounts of tissue damage. For these particular viruses, seems possibly genetically determined. Some humans have this um, sort of delayed response allowing for too much virus to grow and multiply in the tissue so that by the time the body brings in the defense mechanisms, there's so much virus mm. and now there needs to be so much inflammation that the damage to the tissues and the structures is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And these are the folks that get, you know, um, very bad lung disease and require the respirators. And, and these are the people that get in trouble. Um, and I think that um, hopefully 
at, at the end um, of, of, of this um, gigantic um, pandemic, we'll all learn a little better who are the individuals that are at risk for these very aggressive responses to the virus, sort of late aggressive as opposed to early aggressive and clearing, but late aggressive responses to the virus that result in, um, you know, in needing ventilation and in exactly in lung failure and, and possibly death. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we all, you know, we know by now that the mortality from the COVID infection is not trivial. No, the immune system is hyperactive or stronger, you know, in um, mm. this. And it leads to sometimes you've seen questions on, on social media sites that people think, well, my immune system must be stronger against COVID mm. than other people's because it's hyperactive. I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm huffing because I think that, um, I don't think we have the right word to mm. describe properly, you know, the, the, the full dysregulation of the immune system. So there seem to be pieces that are strong and then there's, there are pieces that are weak and, and the result is not very clear. Now, the part that is maybe reassuring, but not in a profound way for people with lupus is that throughout some of these other epidemics that predated COVID-19, which are the SARS, the Severe Acute Respiratory um, Syndrome, or the MERS, which is Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. There were not a lot of people with lupus that suffered. People with lupus or other autoimmune diseases, for that matter, may be more affected by, uh, by these coronaviruses. So is it possible that lupus immune systems Um, are somewhat protective, I don't think we understand. And I'm not trying to minimize. I think that people with lupus are at risk in in this pandemic. And I think that they need to be extra careful. There's no doubt in my mind. But now trying to intellectualize, you know, why is it that we haven't seen um, more infections in people with lupus in the prior epidemics? And even now, you know, I'm, I'm... I'm in touch with colleagues from around the world that have been sort of in this pandemic earlier, you know, colleagues from China, colleagues from Korea, and we're not seeing a massive, um, you know, this number of people were affected by COVID. Um, I've had X number of people die. So none of that has appeared, which if I were, you know, as a lupus doctor, I, I take that somewhat optimistically because, you know, I'm, I'm invariably an optimist. And I, think that, um, and I think that one can read that to mean for some reason, maybe just because they're more scared and they're staying at home, maybe that the immune responses are different. But for some reason, thus far, we're not uh, seeing lupus people, you know, um, affected in a disproportionate way by this infection. Everybody is affected um, and, and possibly, you know, um, as a cross-section of the population, so are lupus people, but we're not seeing, you know, more than, than the general population or maybe we're seeing even less. And, and of course, the numbers are very imprecise right now and we're all trying to, you know, infer from incomplete data 
but it's the best we can do. I'm, I'm going to turn right. to drug therapy. Of course, mm -hmm. hydroxychloroquine is discussed a lot in the media at the moment. Yes. So hydroxychloroquine is, um, you know, has been forever the darling of, of, of lupus doctors, the darling, hopefully, of lupus patients. And, and we've learned its enormous value in the treatment of lupus, sort of by trial and error over the past 60 years, 60 plus years of using it in lupus. Um, it treats the disease, it decreases flares in the disease, it uh, increases survival. So overall, it is a, uh, it probably protects from cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis. So it's a pretty amazing drug for people with lupus. Now, it turns out, and um, this is, you know, first started in a dish where people were looking for various agents to stop the viral replication. It turns out that chloroquine, um, you know, a very close cousin of hydroxychloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, both can inhibit the replication of the coronavirus, um, of the COVID-19. So there's been a big and, and massive interest in using it to both treat and prevent coronavirus infections and severe coronavirus infections in, in, in people that are at risk. And there's you know, some data that is um, reassuring, and then there's some data that is sort of begging um, for us to think more deeply about this. So there are a couple of tr there there are a couple of couple of um, you know big studies. Well, big as in important, not big as in large number of patients. But there are a couple of studies that came about using different dosage regimens for um, hydroxychloroquine that are suggesting that there may be. A, an advantage to treating people with COVID, with hydroxychloroquine, and decreasing um, the time when they're shedding the virus, and hopefully shortening their disease duration. Now, some are very, you know, some trials are very optimistic, and some trials are a little more cautious. So I don't think that the jury's out. There's a large multi-center trial that is ongoing in China, I think there are several trials that are ongoing in the United States. So hopefully we'll learn more and we'll understand more what is the role of Plaquenil in the treatment of, of COVID and, and hopefully gain some insights into the mechanisms of the drug. Now, whether you know, those things are true in lupus and whether Plaquenil is actually protecting people with lupus from getting the infection. And that may be the reason why we haven't seen a lot of people with lupus getting sick. I don't think we fully understand. And I think that, you know, as data starts accumulating, because unfortunately data is accumulating uh, very rapidly here in the U.S. and across the world, we'll learn more. And we're all, you know, we all put together uh, proposals, and we all thought about protocols about how to collect this data and how to answer these questions and, and be able to hopefully when um, another epidemic um, hits or if this were to, if COVID were to come back in the fall, um, as some epidemiologists predict, we'll be better poised to know how to treat it and we'll be better poised to do better next time. Thank you.
So hydroxychloroquine isn't immunosuppressive, whereas corticosteroids are. You're absolutely correct. Um, hydroxychloroquine does not make people immunosuppressed. It is more of an immune modulator. Um, it sort of teaches the immune system how to stop recognizing the self as an invader and, and react to it with, with a lot of interferon. So hydroxychloroquine, you know, if it were, um, if it were a very powerful drug and if we could make hydroxychloroquine that's more powerful, it may be the cure. It could be a cure for lupus in, in a very directed and, and targeted way. So, but it does not alter the ability of the immune, well, it doesn't fundamentally alter the ability of the immune system to respond to a virus. Um, and hopefully, you know, more, uh, we'll learn more about that um, also from, you know, all the research that's being done on hydroxychloroquine at, at this, you know, time of, of, uh, of need. Um, and, and at this time where, you know, in a way, um, hydroxychloroquine has become sort of a, the biggest um, star in terms of medications. So maybe this will allow us a much deeper understanding of the way the drug works in general, and in particular in lupus. And we maybe we would be able to um, come up with a way to make it the cure as opposed to, you know, um, just a background medication. So, um, so Plaquenil is not an immune suppressant. And we don't think of people taking Plaquenil with for the treatment of lupus as the only medication as being immunosuppressed. Now, corticosteroids, a very different situation. They are the body's own immune suppressants. Um, they are a powerful immune suppressant. They are an immediate immune suppressant um, in situations where we need to control the inflammation and the autoimmune process very quickly. We turn to corticosteroids. So corticosteroids are an immune suppressant. People that are on corticosteroids are at risk for um, infections and are at risk for bad outcomes for infections. And even more deeply in the era of COVID, because there's a lot of inflammation in the lungs of people with COVID, um, Chinese doctors have attempted to treat COVID with steroids, and it became very clear early on that the people that were treated with steroids did not have the best outcomes. Mm -hmm. So very clearly, corticosteroids um, are, not, um, are not a, um, a positive thing. Now, that doesn't mean that people that are on corticosteroids for the treatment of lupus should stop their corticosteroids. I think they need to talk to their doctors and see if there's a way to minimize the the exposure and minimize the dose, but do not stop your steroids because the risks are that your lupus will get out of control and then you're going to need more steroids. And even furthermore, you might be at, at, at risk to your life from lupus as opposed to, you know, the virus that you may never get. So corticosteroids have been sort of the, what our biggest, one of our biggest guns for the treatment of lupus. We can't live without them, yet we're very deeply and profoundly aware of the side effects and the risks. So we want that immune suppressant effect. And I'm going to come back to that hyperactive. Um, you know, we use the word hyperactive for the lupus immune system. Well, in a way, if we think that the immune system in lupus is in this 
um, you know, um, in this storm, in this hyper vigilant storm. Well, this, the role of the treatments in lupus is to bring the immune system from this, you know, um, I can't quite find the correct word, so I'm going to use hyper, so don't mind me. So we want to take the immune system from the hyper state and make it normal and normalize the responses. So the purpose of the steroids and some of the immunosuppressants that we use to treat lupus is to make it, you know, take it from hyper and make it normal. And if we were very sophisticated, that's precisely what we would do, right? However, we're not very sophisticated and occasionally we overdo it. Mm. So we're trying to make lupus people normal, but in the process, we sometimes you know, overcompensate and we put them at risk for infections. And I think that at the time when the lupus is very active and when we're, so the immune system is very confused and inattentive to the important task of you know, keeping viruses and, ba and bacteria away, now we come in with the immune suppressants to cool off this hyper state. And this is the time when the risks of infections are higher. So people that are in the middle of very active lupus that is being treated aggressively, because we know that if we don't treat active lupus aggressively, bad outcomes happen down the line. These are the people that are at high risk for infections. And these are the people that doctors know, you know, the um, the normal invaders are still here. Yeah. Now we just have happened to have this gigantic, you know, um, threat that's looming all over us. So the teams taking care of, of sick lupus patients are going to face very hard decisions um, for people that are very active and where lupus is out of control. And, and, and balancing the risk of the treatment again. Absolutely. Lupus treatments are always this very fine line between the risk and the benefit. And I think that those walking this tightrope is going to be even more complicated right now. So unlike other, some of the other treatments for lupus, corticosteroids affect all parts of the immune system. So um, it is a, um, it is a, you know, corticosteroids are a pretty unsophisticated um, immune suppressant. They, um, they go after everything. They go after, um, um, you know, the, um, the cellular components, after the inflammatory um, molecules. Um, they, um, you know, they pretty much um, manage to shut down very effectively immune responses. And that's why they are so powerful in treatment, in the treatment of lupus, and could be so dangerous in, you know, in, in the risk of infection. So it's, you know, it's the paradox of, of, the, of the lupus treatments, right? We're, we're, we're caught in between, we need to shut down the immune system so that it stops the attack on the body, but in the, in, in the same time, we're, we're creating the situation where, where there are risks. And beyond the risks, for the immunosuppression, corticosteroids have those metabolic risks, the risks that, you know, um, as, as the steroids have been used for a longer period of time, become a lot more important um, 
There is the, um, the increase in blood pressure because of salt and water retention. There is the risk of diabetes, the risk of bone thinning, um, the risk of weight gain, and, and all of these sort of accumulate over time as we use the steroids in the treatment of lupus, all of these risks build up over time. And that's why your doctor will always ask you to try and help you to be on the lowest possible dose for the shortest possible time. Um, shall we talk about cyclophosphamide? Because that's another... That's, uh, you know, um, talking about the big guns. Um, <laughs> and, uh, well, but we do have to talk about the big guns. So what are, you know, we reserve cyclophosphamide for very clearly organ or life-threatening lupus. Now, for the people that are going to need cyclophosphamide in, you know, in these very um, troubled times, I think that they're going to need cyclophosphamide and they're going to need to be treated. And the doctors, the patients are going to be very careful about, you know, minimizing exposure risks. But I think that um, it comes without saying that the people that need cyclophosphamide are the highest risk lupus patients in terms of how severe the lupus is and they're also at the highest risk for complications just because it is a very powerful much it, it, in a way similar to steroids it's a very you know across the board um, somewhat unsophisticated i'm gonna kill every immune cell um, that that can be damaging um, sort of way. And I think that it's the nature of the drug. It's the nature of our still somewhat primitive understanding of lupus. And it's what we might need to use in people that are very sick. And I'm quite certain that for people that are making the decision to start cyclophosphamide or continue cyclophosphamide, it's not gonna be an easy decision. And I think that those decisions are made with all the um, with all the thought process and with all the um, with all the care that we can put into them. Sure. But you know, it is it's it is the nature of the it's the nature of the two beasts we're fighting, and um, we're hoping that we have the tools to fight them both. Right. Meaning, we have the tool to fight the tools to fight lupus. Um, a larger number of people will be taking uh, drugs like mycophenolate and azathioprine. Um, are they more, do they have a narrower effect on the immune system, or a more discriminating effect? They're, they're more lymphocyte specific. Um, they were invented as organ transplant medications. Um, there is a sort of a larger body of evidence um, that surrounds the use of these medications. Um, you know they are, you know they are immune suppressants. They lower the ability of the body to fight some infections. Um, there is, um, you know, um, there is evidence that uh, responses to infections are a little different in people um, taking uh, mycophenolate or azathioprine. There's um, there's a risk. Um, we advise people that are taking these medications to be extra careful in terms of avoiding exposures. But so far, we have not stopped the medications 
for people that are, um, you know, at home um, being careful to avoid uh, exposure. Um, that may be different if somebody actually um, has um, symptoms of COVID or um, has had a, um, a very close exposure there for someone that is doing maintenance therapy for, um, for lupus, we might choose, um, you know, obviously in, in very clear and, and very close communication with a patient, we might choose to hold these medications for one or two weeks uh, while, you know, the body recovers. And whether that's right or wrong, I don't think we know. And I'm, you know, there may be colleagues that, you know, have a different view of how this is supposed to go. But, you know, around the lupus community, I think that we all agree that this is prudent. I, I urge all lupus patients anywhere to not, from everywhere and um, regardless of what's happening, to reach out to their teams. They're hard decisions and they should be very clearly thought through and, and balanced. Dr. Ankenes, can we talk a little bit about the biological therapies like rituximab and Venlisto or Belimimab now? Absolutely. You know, what, what we've done in, in, for our patients, um, we struggle with these decisions and we have decided that for the time being, the people that need rituxin to keep their lupus in check or treat their lupus when it's, you know, out of control, and the people that need belimumab should continue their treatments. Um, and we have brought people in for their infusions and uh, or had people continue their subcutaneous treatments. Um, so I don't think we quite understand what is the effect on the immune responses to coronaviruses from drugs like rituxin or benlista um, because of their specific effect on on the lymphocyte for the rituxin on the CD20 positive cells and belimumab on the bliss, um, whether this actually has an impact on the risk of COVID or on the protections, on, on the body's protections against COVID, I don't think we understand. But I think that we take these treatments um, seriously and we prescribe them in people that um, absolutely need them. And I think that we made that decision to keep going with these treatments. Okay. We hope we're right. Thank you. Do you have anything to say about methotrexate? So, um, so we use methotrexate in lupus quite a lot to treat arthritis, to treat skin rashes, um, sometimes to treat um, inflammation around the heart and the lungs. So we use it extensively and we use the rheumatoid arthritis dosing. Um, we never think of it as providing uh, the same level of immune suppression like some of the other treatments, but whether, you know, how much it affects the immune system, um, the, um, and, and we don't use it in, 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 in the desire to um, produce cell death. We use it in a, um, with the scope of lowering the inflammatory responses in the joints and the tissues. Mm. So I don't know, I don't think of it as being as immunosuppressant as some of the other treatments, 
all that being said, it probably, you know, is somewhere on par um, with mycophenolate and azathioprine, but works differently. And it probably should be treated similarly, um, you know, in terms of risks for people with lupus that are being treated with methotrexate and are at risk now for, for contracting COVID. Thank you. Just turning to a few more general questions. Um, are there things that um, I, as a, a, an individual with lupus can do to protect themselves from getting COVID-19 or its complications? So I think most lupus patients, um, like everyone else in these days, should limit exposure by all means. Um, social distancing, staying at home, um, only going out of the house if you need to buy groceries or um, medications. Now, I would urge lupus patients to, to send somebody else to buy groceries and medications just because I think they need to be extra careful. Um, I think we're past, you know, um, if you need to go out, wear a mask, um, sa use sanitizer or wear gloves to protect your hands. When you come back in the house from being outside, you know, remove these things that have been outside, possibly take a shower and, you know, cleanse things very carefully. And maybe this is overkill, but I don't see the, the big risk of taking a shower after you've been outside to run an errand. Um, you know, the doctors, we the doctors, as, as we come back in the house from having been in the hospital, we strip completely, leave everything at the door and put it in the, um, in the washing machine and then, you know, run into the shower. Um, maybe that's extreme for, for someone where the exposures are likely to be minimal, but don't see much risk in taking a shower when you come out after you've been outside. So I think that people with lupus need to limit exposures, whether, you know, how much they should change their medications, I think that these are questions that they need to address with their doctors. Um, and, and I think that they need to take their Plaquenil at this time. Um, whether that protects against the virus or not, I don't think we know for sure, but we know for sure it protects against lupus getting worse and it protects against the flare. So please, this is not the time to forget taking the Plaquenil. This is the time to have it on your night table and religiously take it. So if there's one thing that we can achieve in this difficult time is to make sure that um, the relationship of every lupus patient with their Plaquenil is one of appreciation and, and, and being thankful that Plaquenil exists. So I think that these are sort of, you know, uh, across the board um, advice for lupus patients in this very difficult times. Now, what do we do for lupus patients that happen to be healthcare workers? I think this is a, such a difficult choice. And depending on how active their lupus is and, and how close to the very risky places in the hospital these lupus patients are, I think that each patient should, each patient that happens to be a, a healthcare provider of some sort, doctor, a nurse, um, um, 
uh, a nursing attendant needs to reach out to their own doctors and make the correct decision for this time. Thank you. Um, we're coming to the end now, but in, in summary, you're really saying to people, if they have any queries at all, they should be in touch with their local team as much as they can be. But depending on, on how ill they are, or that there may be a delay in them getting back, but they should make sure they're taking their prescribed medication, um, uh, particularly Plaquenil, um, in the way they've been um, advised by their own team. Okay, well, thank you very much indeed. Um, we're very grateful for you spending, sparing some time uh, at what must be well, it's a difficult time for everyone, but an exceptionally busy time for people like you. So thank you. I'd like to record our, our gratitude to you. Thank you.